Genesis chapter number 2, then it's right there in front of you. So if you've turned to Genesis 2 and stand and honor the reading of the Word of God today. This is a familiar passage to many of us here today, and uh, we're going to begin reading somewhere around the seventh verse. And it says here, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. There he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. Don't forget that. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden. From whence it was parted and came into four heads. That's the 10th verse. I'm going to jump down to the 15th verse. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an helpmeet for him. Notice the wording, a helpmeet, not a helpmate, a helper suitable for him. Nineteenth verse, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field for Adam there. And, but for Adam there was not found an help meet or a helper suitable for him. And so the Lord God and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Now let's pause real quickly right there. You know, in, in liberal ideology, and what I mean by that is the people that do not believe in the literal interpretation of the Word of God believe that this is figurative and do not believe it literally. But you know, I believe it literally, and I believe that this happened exactly as it was written, and I believe it because in Matthew chapter number 19, a man called Jesus said, In the beginning, God made them male and female. And he even quoted these next two verses in his teaching. And so, if Jesus believed that it happened, Come on, then I put my agreement with him, don't you? Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now we are going to go ahead and read into the third chapter just quickly, seven verses and then two verses out of the book of Revelation. That will conclude the reading of Scripture. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." 
when the woman, pay close attention to the sixth verse, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And we'll stop right there only for the sake of time. And now we'll turn all the way. We're going from today when you go home. You'll say, our preacher preached from Genesis to Revelation today. Two verses. First and second verse of chapter number 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life. Gen- Revelation 22, verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of the God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And today, I want to ask you to join your faith in agreement with mine as I begin this, at least a two-part message here today. I want to talk to you about a Christ-centered marriage. A Christ-centered marriage. And I want to ask the Lord to help us to look at this uh, with, the, with the understanding that only God can give us. How do you believe God can give you understanding as it relates to the Word of God? He'll open your eyes. He opens your heart and allows you to contemplate sp- deep spiritual truths and understand them. So, Father, we love you, and we are truly humbled in this house today, grateful for a privileged opportunity, praying today in the name of Jesus for the Word of God to be, uh, Father, illuminated in our heart and in our mind, asking today in the name of Jesus, what I have prayed privately, I will now pray publicly. Let preaching come easy in this house. Come on, somebody. God, I pray today that if you have laid and burdened my heart with this message, you've laid it upon my heart, then you would prepare the heart of the people to receive. We're going to trust you're going to do good and godly things among us in this word today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, and you can be seated. God bless you today for your reverence, standing for the reading of the word of God. I want to take a moment of time here to just set a little bit of a foundation for where I want to take you in this journey here today. I want to have a, a sincere just honest, not in the notes moment, just very quickly to tell you how, number one, I appreciate so our church family, each of you here that are gathered today, both men and women, both our visitors and our adherents, and, uh, and the, the way that you pray for me and my family, I want to thank you so much. Uh, I mean, I mean that sincerely. We feel it. We know it. We never feel isolated. We never feel alone. We always feel like there's somebody standing with us in our corner And equally as much, though, I want you to know that that's the way that we feel about you and your family and and your marriage, if you are married or if you plan to be uh, married at a later date and time in your life. And we want, and this is my sincere desire for you and your family today, we want nothing but God's best for you. We want you to enjoy the communion of fellowship that can happen between a man and a woman whose hearts are yielded to God. And the blessing that can fall upon your house and your household as a result of the commitment that you make in your heart to God first and, your heart to your, and the commitment you make in your uh, heart to your spouse as well. I'm telling you, I grieve when I see the hell that some people live in. 
I grieve when I see the effects of, upon their children. The contention, the strife, the bitterness, the words that are spoken from husband and wife, the neglect, the anger, the things that oftentimes have been spoken in what should be a sacred place. I believe the communion of marriage and the covenant of marriage is a sacred place. And, and it's a place, it ought to be a safe place. And your children ought to be raised. If, you, if you're married today and you've got children, I tell you what, you, your children ought to be in the healthiest and the safest environment that they can ever be in. Because when they go out into the world, the world's not a safe place. The world is a destructive place. The world is a divisive place. But when they come home, they ought to notice the very fragrance of God in that household. And they ought to live in a home where there's peace and there's contentment and there's not strife and contention. And that's not going to happen until mom and dad, until husband and wife determine in their hearts that they're going to live in harmony with God and harmony with each other. And so what I want to talk to you about today, I want to establish this principle first and foremost. Relationship with God is not the byproduct of marriage. Let me say that again. Your relationship with God is not the byproduct or the fruit of marriage. Rather, our relationship to our spouse should be the byproduct or the fruit of our fellowship and our communion with God. Let me say this, as being a pastor now for 20-something years, some men and women turn to the church to salvage years of neglect in their marriage. The church is not your answer. Let me just go ahead and bring that to you today. Being involved in church is not the answer. Let me go one farther than that. Marriage, your marriage is not broken. You are broken. Let me say it again. The couple or the individual is broken. So let's even extend this farther. I think you're catching on just a little bit. You cannot fix your marriage. You cannot fix yourself. You have to come to Christ. You have to come to Him only by either establishing for the very first time a genuine communion with God through the person of Jesus Christ or by reestablishing or rededicating your faith and your relationship with Jesus, your communion and your faith. Only by doing that can you ever hope to have a healthy, loving, godly marriage. And so let me say this. The Bible says that in Him we live, and in Him we move, and in Him we get our being. Once you are genuinely born again, born by the Spirit of God, and when then and only then can you say, I am not my own. I was bought with a price. Come on, I'm standing in front of you today, happily married man after 32 years, Three years of dating prior to that. Fifty years old. Been with Sherry for 35 years of my young life. But my identity does not come from that communion with her. My identity comes from my communion with Christ. And my relationship that I have with Him. And the knowledge that I have uh, with my wife extends from the knowledge that I've gained from my fellowship and my relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And so I want you to know today that when you have an understanding of the value of the purchase price that was made for redemption, then and only then can you begin to readapt your life and your lifestyle to make you the type of person that somebody wants to live with for the rest of their life. I want you to know today that I'm accountable to God, and to me, marriage is a matter of faith. And so when I say that, I want you to know I relate to and I strive to understand. Now, let me say that especially for us men. I strive to understand my wife. I didn't say I've gotten there fully and adequately. I said I'm working on it after 32 years. I relate to and I strive to understand and I strive to serve and fulfill my role in marriage as a direct result of my faith and my obedience to God. I want to go further. I don't love my wife, therefore I love God. That's not the way it works. You don't come back here saying, well, I love God. I love my wife, so help me find God. No, no, no. I love God today through the person of Jesus Christ. I love him. You know why I love him today? Because he first loved me. You know why I'm sold out Jesus freak in front of you today? Because I was lost. I was a sinner. I was away from God. I had no future. I had no present. But God searched for me. He found me. He brought me to his banqueting table. And his banner over me is love. He bought me, purchased me, redeemed me, and made me whole. And I'm sold out to him today. And I want you to know today that I want to love my wife. And I want to be all that God's called me to be, not because first of my love for her, but because of my love for Him. I want to be all that God wants me to be. And so, therefore, I want to go to the Word of God. Because, let me tell you, church family, only when you're redeemed, only when you're fully made whole by the person of Jesus Christ, are you healthy and whole enough to truly be the spouse that God's called you to be. I go to the Word of God even after these many years, and I study the Word of God, not just for sermon preparation. I don't just go to this Word and say, oh my gosh, i got to come up with something, and I told the people I don't want to, you, know, uh, you know, go to sermon.com, because you can, but I'm not going to be that pastor, because I'm going to get along with God, but I don't just read this Word so that I'll have a good message for you on Sunday. I don't just read 1 Peter chapter number 3 and Ephesians chapter number 5 and Proverbs chapter number 6 and Colossians chapter number 3 so that I can adequately counsel somebody across the desk from me in hopes that I might help them in their marriage. I read those passages of Scripture because I love God, because He loved me, and I want to be pleasing to Him, and He's made me a husband, and therefore because He's made me a husband, I want to honor my wife, and I want to be all that I can be to her because I want to be all that I can be to him because he gave me everything church family God so loved you that he bankrupted heaven by giving his own son to die in your stead so you could have communion and fellowship with him then why would we not want to be all that we can be in every area of our life for the glory of God and it needs to start in your own home and in your own fellowship with God let me go and just, I want, I'm just establishing this principle in our heart and life today. The Word of God, as, as it, it develops in your heart and as you begin to understand that it's the will of God for you to have a Christ-centered marriage, not a you-centered marriage. 
a Christ-centered marriage, then you can begin to go to the Word and learn your role and learn of what God's expectation for you is, to which I'll teach you next week if you'll promise to come back. And as a, a, a wife or a woman of faith, you too can then in turn go to the Word of God and you can glean and read and study and hide the Word in your heart because you are a sold-out daughter to the Lord and you want to be all that you can be for the glory of God. Let me again say, all the books, all the products, all the videos, all the lessons, all the conferences, all the retreats, and all the counseling sessions, they are not the means to a healthy relationship in marriage. Faith in God through Jesus Christ, becoming a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. And when you determine that you're not going to just hear the word, but you're going to be a doer of the word, then you will desire to deepen your faith by using the books, the products, the videos, the lessons, the conferences, the retreats, the counseling sessions. But they won't be instead of, they will be in addition to. Because you're feeding your faith. Because your marriage and the health of your marriage, it's a faith issue. It's not a personality issue. It's not a uh, man or one. It's about you as a believer in Jesus Christ walking in the ordained, revealed will of God for your life. And the sooner you come to grips with that, the sooner then you can then begin to take off certain expectations that your carnal mind has allowed to be created for you. And you can say, you know what, God, I want to be pleasing to you. And if I'm pleasing to you, then I know that you're going to cause the fruit of the Holy Spirit to work. Because I want to walk in the Spirit. And when I say this, when I, when I say these words, I, I want you to get at the right perspective behind this. When I say I want to walk in the Spirit, I'm not talking about just so I could be like the Apostle Peter and my shadow might fall on somebody and they get healed. Or that when, if I say, Pastor, I want, to, I want to walk in the Spirit so I can prophesy over somebody when they come to the front of the church. You know why I want to walk in the Spirit? Because when I walk home, I want to walk through the doors of my house with the love of God in my heart. And so that I won't be bitter and I won't be ugly and I won't say unkind things to my household, to my wife or my children. And then me and Sherry have an empty nest. And you know what? It is not that bad. You know what? Come on. There's some things. Don't get me started up in here today. There's a lot of good to it as well. And so, you know, uh, God gives you time to, uh, to, it's almost like you get to date all over again. I didn't know that you could go to Sonic and not spend $72 eating off of the children's dollar menu. I didn't know that, but now I know it, how life has changed for us. And Sherry and I, in this season of life that we're in, we get to deepen and develop our love for each other at a greater depth and a greater love because we are deepening and walking in the Spirit before God. That has to be your heart. That has to be your desire. Can we go back to the garden for just a moment? I want to do that because I love this account in the Word of God. I just think it unlocks the mystery to a Christ-centered marriage. If you've ever been to a wedding ceremony that Pastor Brown has conducted, you'll know that in every wedding ceremony, I'm gonna tell, I don't care who you are. I've, I've gone through several of the kids and, and, uh, get, and, and doing their marriages and their wedding ceremonies for them, um, and to which I'm still waiting to be paid. <laughs> I guess... The, the, the offspring are the payment for that right there. So, okay, that'll work. That'll be good. And so I go because, you know what? The truth doesn't change. 
The revelation of truth contained in this passage is universal for all. If it was good doctrine for Jesus to share it in his generation, it's good doctrine for me to share it. And I want to go back to it for just a moment because there's something unique about this this passage of Scripture. When you think about Adam and Eve and what God did in that moment, I want to take a moment and talk to you about it because it just stands out to me. And I want to draw your attention to just a few principles, if I can, for just a moment. I love the, the narrative there, and we read it kind of generally, and you're familiar with it, but I want to just I want to see if we can recreate it today because I believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that God formed and fashioned and God had already predetermined in his mind what it would look like and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep and God was molding and shaping this earth. And through six days, the creation account is recorded of all the things that the magnificent and wonderful hand of God formed on this thing that we call the planet earth. And the Bible says, very quickly, the Bible says that God took uh, his hand and he caught uh, dust and then he breathed into that dust the breath of life, and that dust became a living soul. And did you know the word Adam in the Hebrew is man made from the red clay earth? And God breathed into that formerly uh, lifeless matter his life, and when he did, he became uh, the man that God had created him to be. He was fully and, and completely spiritual. He was completely whole. He was able to commune with God. He was brilliant in his mind. And the the very first thing that God did was God gave him a job. So if, lady, you are single here today, and you're kind of looking out for somebody that you may be going to marry, let me tell you somebody to look for. Find one with a job, number one. God put him in the garden and said, here's your job. I want you to keep the garden, and I want you to till the garden. And I believe that is a principle that begins to reveal to us about managing our marriage. Your marriage is not going to just happen. You got to work at it. You got to determine that by the blessing of God and by the health of God, you're going to keep out the adversary that Adam let in. And he gave him a job. I love this. Not only to till it and to keep it, but God gave Adam the responsibility to name every animal that God brought in front of him. Now think about this. God brought the animals from afar to Noah's ark. And so God supernaturally brought one by one the animals in front of Adam. And I could see Adam being super excited early on in this process as one after the uh, animal and passed in front of him. And he would look at it and say, there's an elephant right there. And and, and there's a wee, 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 wee all the way home. There's a little piglet right there. And, and then he said, there's a, a bear right there, a bear. I'm going to call you bear. And, and then, he, you know, he said, uh, he said, there's a giraffe right there. We'll call you giraffe. Look at those long legs. And on and on and on it went down. And I'm sure Adam began to say, how many more could there be? And he grew fatigued and he grew tired. And right there in doing his very first job, he dozed off to sleep. But while he was asleep, the hand of God surgically went into the side of Adam and took out a rib. And with that rib, the the magnificent hands of God formed it and then put on the earth the most beautiful of all God's creation. And Adam, after beginning the process of naming all the animals and slipping off into a slumber, 
going to the, into that sleep, giraffe, sheep, goat, cow, dog, cat, suddenly, whoa, man. Because he had never seen anything as beautiful as who came walking through the foliage of the garden that day. Glory to God. And he said, this shall be called woman, because she was taken from the man. And he said these words. He said, for this very reason, from henceforth, every person's going to leave father and mother and cleave unto their spouse, for two shall become one. And I want you to know that the will of God for you and your house and your household is that mom and dad, husband and wife, you're walking together in agreement in your pursuit of the blessing of God upon you and your household. You believe that today? I believe that. Well, in that narrative that we read in the Genesis, there was a command that was given to Adam. And I want to talk to you about that real quickly. It's very, very important that you catch this and that you let me see this. The Word of God plainly says that God in the ninth verse of the second chapter said, Out of the ground the Lord had made to grow every tree that was pleasant for sight and good for food, including, notice this, the tree of life that was in the midst of the garden. And then there was also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we understand a little bit of the story. We understand that through subtlety and through deceit, the adversary in the third chapter, he, he separated and isolated Eve for a moment, caught her there for a moment, and he began to plant suggestions in the mind of Eve until her perception of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil began to change. And what she used to see as something that could potentially cause death, now she saw it as something that could potentially produce life in her. That's the power of deception. When your perception begins to change and something that you used to think is this way, which was evil in the sight of God, is now looking good to you, you can rest assured that you're under the subtle sway of the enemy who's trying to cause you to see and do things differently than the God-ordained will of God for your life. And you know the story. The enemy beguiled her, and she took of the tree. She took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and she received it, and she ate it, and then she interpreted gave it to her husband and he ate it as well and the Bible says the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew their own shame and they knew that they were guilty before God and let me tell you what I believe there is a picture there is a picture in this passage of scripture of things that husbands and wives are dealing with every day. And I want to talk to you about this today in reiterating this principle. Like Adam and Eve of old, you and I spend so much of our lives, even our marriages, attempting to avoid the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's a positive thing. I'll get to that in just a moment. But often overlooked is that there was another tree in the midst of the garden. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And God had only forbade them from eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As a matter of fact, God said, of all the trees that are in the garden, thou mayest freely eat. That's a spiritual principle, and it's a revelation for you and I here today. What was that tree of life? You know what? I believe that that tree of life represented. I believe that that tree of life represented for us the cross of Calvary. 
that I believe in the very genesis of time. God said, I'm going to make a man and I'm going to make a woman and I'm going to bring them together and I'm going to cause them to have communion and fellowship where? Right in front of a tree that's going to produce salvation. It's going to produce redemption. It's going to produce forgiveness. It's going to produce mercy. It's going to produce grace. And if they'll eat from the tree of life, then the blessing of God will be upon their household. But the error was that they, they did not eat of the tree of life, and rather they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it teaches us today that you and I, the design of God is that we have a Christ-centered marriage and that we can eat of the fruit of that tree. I've been thinking about the cross today because when I think about it, when I think about this message, it turns my affection. The old songwriter said, a wondrous beauty I see, despised and rejected by the world, but there on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. The world looks at it with ridicule and disdain, but I'm mesmerized by it. I look at it, and I come to Jesus, and I say, oh, God, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And all of a sudden, the life-giving blood that flowed down that cross that day flows into my life, changes me from the inside out. And when I do, you know what I'm doing? I'm eating of the fruit of that tree. Well, let me go a little bit farther with that. And so I thought to myself when I was writing these notes, I thought, what would happen in our marriages if each individual went to the cross daily and there we experienced the love of God? There we were reminded of forgiveness. There we were reminded of sacrifice. There we were reminded of mercy. And there we were reminded of grace. And then we determined that not only would we eat from the fruit of that tree, but we would make sure that we gave that fruit to our spouses. What would happen in the communion and the fellowship that a husband and wife could have with each other with Christ in the center of their marriage? Let me ask you, what would happen? Marriage would be the most pleasant covenant that you could ever behold. Family would be the greatest thing that you could ever be a part of. If a husband and wife are daily coming to the tree of life, Revelation 2 says that, it, or 22 says it blooms again for the healing of the nations and we partake of its fruit, the tree of life. Let me share with you a passage here today that as I close this message, I want you to, be, I want you to remember this and not soon forget it. God's design for you and your spouse is that you have a Christ-centered Marriage. How many believe that here today? A Christ-centered message or marriage. I want to show you something in keeping in that same vein by turning to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and closing here today. I want you to see this. Several years ago, we had a marriage seminar here at church on Wednesday nights. And as we did so, I asked Dr. Brassfield if he would teach one of those nights, and he uh, agreed to, and he took us to a passage. See, I'm very familiar with the book of Ephesians as it relates to marital instruction. Chapter 5 and chapter 6, both chapter 5 speaks to husbands and wives, chapter 6 speaks to fathers and mothers, but Dr. Brassel didn't go there. He went to the fourth chapter, and he expounded something in a way that I'd never seen or heard previously, and it marked my life in a very positive way. 
And, and every time that I counsel anybody that's going to get married, I take them to this passage of Scripture because I believe that it is a, it is a revelation of what your marriage can be like once your faith is in, established in this principle and you determine to eat from the tree of life. Let me go, let's go into this just real quickly. Let's read it. We're going to pick it up at the 20th verse, and we're only going to read through the 32nd verse, and I want you to walk it down with me very, very quickly. It says here, but ye have not so learned Christ. So here the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian church, and he's speaking about general Christian behavior. The general expectation and conduct of what it would be like and what it is like for a man or a woman of God and God's expectation of what our life should look like when we've been changed from the inside out. What do I mean changed from the inside out? How many know that the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit starts right there in your heart? It does. You get a new nature. God gives you a new nature. And from there, you begin to renew your mind and you begin to be changed by the power of God. If you were here on Wednesday night, I shared with you that Romans 12, verse number 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many know it's the will of God to change every area of your life where that carnal man, that old man is put away and you become fully a new person? The Bible uses this phrase right here. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Other translations say a new creation in Christ Jesus. Every pattern of life that was of ungodly and immoral behavior, God does not expect you to continue to live in it. God expects you to mortify and then walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit and live that way every day. The point that Dr. Brassford was making those many years ago that has stood out for me here for all these years is that this is written to the Christian in general, but if you'll make it very specific to you as a husband or you as a wife, then it can change the way that you relate to your spouses because you are walking in the Spirit of God. Let's go farther and let's look at this real quickly. If so be that you have heard of Him and you have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus... See, if you're genuinely born again, you want to be taught by God, don't you? Are you all out there, church family? When you're genuinely born again, listen, you, can't, you cannot hold on to those old habits. You can't hold on to those old addictions. You can't hold on to those old, uh, you know, the behavioral issues, the way you talk, all those things. You got Because you don't, you don't belong to you. I'm going to tell you, you belong to God. You're His. He purchased you, and He's put an expectation of change upon your life. He said, so you've heard of him, and that you've been taught by him, and the truth is in Jesus. Look at the 22nd verse. That you put off the former conversation, the old man. This is the old you. This is the corrupt according to the deceitful lust. That's how you used to be. That's the way you used to talk. That's the things that you used to allow to sit on your mind. That's the harsh words that you used to speak to, to someone. But you can't do that any longer. You know why? Because you're not your own. You belong to God, and God's put an expectation upon you, and you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So I want you to go back to the garden for just a moment, because Paul's going to use, and I'm closing with this, so y'all stay with me to finish this out, because it's the will of God for every married couple to have a Christ-centered marriage, Christ-centered marriage. In the garden were two trees. Inside you is two natures. The Spirit of God that's recreated you into the image of Jesus. But in your flesh is the old nature, the old you. 
And that one wants to dominate you. So we could somehow morph these two types together. And we could say, as Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they could have eaten of the tree of life. Every day that you get up, and when you determine you're going to walk in the Spirit, that I want you to know you're shunning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're eating from the tree of life. Every day. Let's read it on down real quickly. And closing this passage real quick. And that you put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness. Let me ask you how would your marriage be if every person, if both couple, if both individuals in the marriage put away lying and there was such a trust that was established between the husband and wife. Because it says here, you, you're going to speak truth with your neighbor because you're members one of another. You're going to be angry. There are times you get angry. But how many know that you can be angry and not sin? Did y'all know that? Can I say that to you today? You can be angry and not sin. You don't have to go to bed at night angry at your spouse. Matter of fact, let's make this applicable to the marriage. Let's go to bed at night and let's make sure that we resolve all conflict that was created during the day. Isn't that why the word, if we're making this applicable to husbands and wives, it says neither give place to the devil. Because if you give place to the devil, ask what happened to Adam and Eve. The enemy came in and through subtlety and through deception that there was, a, 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 there was sin created and they lost their place in the Garden of Eden. And your marriage can begin to erode if you allow the enemy place by not judging and casting down what he's doing in your marriage. Let's read this on down. Let him who stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Work with his hands the thing that which is good that he may have to give to him that is need. If we used our resources and we shared our resources for each other and for the good of our family and we were not selfish and we made good decisions. And then it says we let no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying. Everybody here wants somebody to speak kind words to them. Who here hates it when somebody uses embittered words, angered words, resentful words, or words that cut and pierce and degrade us and belittle us? Who here, every one of us, you would quit a job over that type of, of verbiage spoken over you. And then you go home in the very door that you walked out that morning and bring that very verbiage to your spouse. God forbid that you do it that in the name of Jesus. God says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but speak life over your wife. Speak life over your husband. And let me say this. I know for some of you, you got to call things that be not as though they were, but that's okay. For some of you here today, you got to say, well, my man is this, or my woman, no, 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 no. you got to speak faith over them in Jesus' name. you got to call the very blessing and the favor of God upon them even when you're not seeing it worked out in your marriage right now, but you got to trust in God. Man, I'm preaching way better than y'all shouting. I hope that means the Holy Spirit's doing work in here today. Listen, let's close. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness, think about marriage, think about marriage. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you. The fruit of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil be put away. But look at the 32nd verse. And be kind one to the other. Tenderhearted. 
forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. What a beautiful marriage that could be if every man and every woman daily, daily got up and said, God, I'm going to avoid, let's picture this in our mind, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I'm going to shun that tree. I don't care. You know what? Resentment can feel good to your ego. Bitterness can feel good to your fleshly appetite. You somehow feel justified at times when we act bitter to someone. Come on. But how many know that the end thereof is death? It's a death to your marriage when you bring that bitterness into your home. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there's a tree of life that blooms for the healing of the nations. The fruit of the cross of Calvary, love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, the purity of God's best for you and your household. But you've got to determine to take of the fruit. Like Eve, she took of the fruit, she ate it, and then she gave to her husband. She just took. The problem was, the problem was not that she was taking a fruit. It was that she was taking a fruit from the wrong tree. If we will take of the fruit of what God's done for us in Christ, eat it until it becomes a part of who we are, and then share that with our spouses. I'm telling you, church family, you can have a Christ-centered marriage. Come on, somebody. Amen. How many believe that's the will of God? I want to ask, is Daryl going to join me on the platform? If he, is he here? Thank you, Brother Daryl, if you would today. Thank you so much. I'm closing this message right now today, and I know I've gone a little bit past noon, but that's okay. Church family, you know, as a pastor, it's my desire to see you and your family have every opportunity to be all that God's called you to be. But if you think that as the church, we can salvage years of your neglect, you're in error. The only way for your marriage to begin to be productive and healthy and whole is you've got to come to the tree of life. And you've got to take of the fruit of that tree, the fruit of what Jesus did for you at the cross. And you've got to eat of it every day. And you've got to determine that not only do you want to eat of it, but you want to give it.